0: Hello everybody, it's Martin Kiernan here and this week uh, we're going to be talking about well, something I know nothing about. Well actually that would be a fairly long list I have to say. And my guest today is Jinsey Jerry who's a, an Assistant Director of Nursing for Infection Prevention Control at the Matter Hospital in Dublin. And Jerry's a pioneer in robotic process automation and I have no clue really what that is to be absolutely honest because I come from an era where we didn't have any, even have email when I started in infection control. We certainly didn't have any computerized systems. It was go and look through the paper in the lab to see what the lab had grown. And maybe you'd put up a T-card and that was about it. There was, you know, your way of detecting an outbreak was your memory, to be absolutely honest. Uh, things have moved on somewhat. So, uh, Jinshi, I'm delighted to speak to you about this because it's a fascinating subject and the future of infection prevention, no doubt. So welcome. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much, Martin. It is an honor and privilege to be here with you. I never expected this will happen.
0: Ever. Ah, no, well, nobody expects anything these days, I don't think. Everything's new around the corner. Um, so how did you get firstly interested in robotic process automation? And firstly, what is it and how does it work?
1: Um, so the robotic process automation, makes a software robot that sits in their computer and then download a set
0: of
1: defined actions. So basically, we are telling the robot what we need to be done. And then the, the robot will continuously process it. So, first, I never heard about it before. In um, 2019, when I joined this job, what I have seen is the infantry control nurses' workload was very heavy. And they were doing actually more administrative work. We had really a really limited number of teams, like there was only three in control nurses. And they used to spend around three to four hours every day downloading the lab. This is because our lab system, what we are using is built in 1980s. so, <laughs> you can't even. <laughs> yeah. As you said, you can only read the screen and then download into a particular format. Then you have to edit into an Excel format. Then half of the time, they have to transcribe many of the results. As you know that when you're transcribing medical records number, you can make minor errors. Uh, and then when you upload that into your patient management system, a person who is not very positive could become a very positive. So we had, we have a risk there. So we have taken atmosphere not to, not, that was not to happen, but I cannot say, guarantee that uh, that didn't happen. Okay. So at that stage, I went for a conference. I was a speaker at a healthcare informatics society. And I, I when I was waiting to be, to be called my name, the first person who was talking was um, UI path uh, coordination. That was Mark upon and he was talking about robotic process automation in other sectors. So not just in healthcare. And um, so he was talking about passport office and uh, guard awaiting. I mean, yeah, it's fascinating, you know. Um, and then he was explaining what are the processes the robot is doing, and I said every up, every slide to this is perfectly perfect for us. So I went to chat with him after that. And I said to him, like, you know, we have a wonderful process that can be fully automated. And um, so chat, And then he said, I'm sure. And he said, anywhere it is done. So I started looking at, and um, nowhere in the world they have done automation of collaborations processing for what the intuition nurses are doing. Then we have detail on detailed discussion, he agreed that we'll run a process mapping. That was like looking into the process, what we are currently doing. And I actually did a process mapping in the in the arm computer whenever we were running the lab system. It is actually recording every step of encryption that OSCE are doing. Then they send that report to. <laughs> That's quite to a the task. They would need to
0: record every step. I mean, because I've I've found that everybody does things in a slightly different way. So how did you manage to standardize what people are doing? Because if you've got a few members in your team, everybody does maybe you know what what was? How did you work out what the optimal method was?
1: Yeah, the ultimate method was the traditional method what institutional nurses were using, and okay. they had a big list of steps to do. If you change any of the steps, the lab system wouldn't work. They cannot kind of download the results, so it had a definite steps, and that okay. was the beauty of the beauty of the thing. The only difference was making the robot understand the lab results, because none of the microbiologists write the reports in the same way.
0: Uh, for example, yes. for a
1: VRE, you could tell like one commensal resistant, then the thricite uh, that is resistant, or then you'll say an organism and then there will be three or four columns and somewhere there will be an R, just a positive VRE, and somewhere it will say VRE positive, so the the difficulty was to make the robot understand how a clinician or how a, a scientist is actually wrote the report, because we found uh, the reporting system can be very different and different person to person. So, there was the utilization of AI um, basically. So um, we downloaded the steps and sent it to them and asked them, and they also felt if yes, this can be done. And so two of their developers came sat within Kuchman analysis, and they have gone through each boxes. So they will be like, we will be going one screen to next screen. and once they have gone to the second screen, we may be spending two minutes there. And they started asking, what are you were doing actually in that minute? So with they saying, we looked at the MR and we looked at the data for, we make sure that that one is correct and looked at the organism. Is that organism resistant to something? So they recorded every bit of information. Um, and then the, the process was developed. Uh, then it was a, it was a trial system because we have to have zero error. And... <laughs>
0: um,
1: so that, that was the biggest part I I should say. So our IT was able to give us a testing platform. So we had a copied and mock set of patients with the MRSA, DRA, and all those microorganisms that usually MDROs. And then we created a testing platform. Then when the robot was developed and won the test results and download the results, then we identified manually whether they captured everything or not. Mm-hmm. And that's the time we identified they were not able to download all the VR results, all the CPU results, because the, the results are actually displayed in different formats in the screen. And, and they used screen spreading, which is a which is an AI technology to identify that class. So they had to use different natural language processing to identify what are the lab users. Then they created a, a, a pro- complete process for us. And the next three months was wireless. And that was a huge part of it. So the robot downloaded the results. In download nurses downloaded manually that. Then they compared each result. Whether they missed anything or not, so,
0: so that's that just a validation hard. period, then, yeah. Mm.
1: Validation period, and once it was validated, still, you know that you need to be careful that the robot is not missing anybody. So we kind of monitored the robot all uh, the way through for almost an year, uh, and then satisfactorily we need to say that you know the robot is doing. It. And there are, there are no more the robots started doing. That was downloading was one part of it. And then uh, in the in the process of that development, the COVID hit. So the two covid cases arrived in in 2020, March. And we were actually in the middle of development of that process. Um, so the UI part actually then was quite happy to take up that responsibility of downloading the lab results for the COVID. The COVID results usually came like the first one we had only one test a day. Then it went to two tests, three tests, four times test running. And sometimes now it daytime and nighttime. So and the infection donations are not there in the, the day, like that stretch of time. So we we had something called orchestrator. So he, he dedicated this time the panel. Somebody's like Martin came in said, to do it eight o'clock, five o'clock, three o'clock in the middle of the night. So, so there is there is something called orchestrator. So the orchestrator allocates the time what time the robot needs to run. And so that the robot can run without any conflict of uh like downloading the results. So MRSA have allocated eight o'clock and then sometimes eleven o'clock, then COVID will be nine, twelve, one, three, like that. So COVID-19 were downloaded and then what uh, we did is writing the patient-specific notes in the patient management system. So we mm-hmm. have an you know, in-house developed patient management system and in-person control and nurses usually put an alert in there for any of the MPOs, so like this patient is violence with
0: and the well, they have to MRC. do that manually, presumably, do they? Manually, yeah. yeah.
1: So in this one, for the robot, actually, this is this patient is diagnosed with or Jin is diagnosed with the COVID on 19th of May, this needs to be admitted into a single room, isolation precautions, big clearing after this test. So all the relevant information about the and the nurses will provide to the clinical team is actually taken over by the robot. Wow. So they don't write the nursing notes anymore for COVID patients. We are still writing for others, and we are in the practice plan for the next phase development for um, a robot.
0: I mean, how did the microbiologists uh, uh, cope with all of this? Did they change what they were doing at all, or did they just say, well, it's fine, I can, you know, the robots learn what I need, to, what I'm doing anyway, so I, I can just carry on the way I was? Because it's interesting when you say People report in different ways because you wonder about the poor end user then who gets the same thing but re- being reported in a number of different ways. And just did this standardize the way the end user is actually getting their report as well?
1: Yeah, actually, that is a nice idea. I never asked that question. What we actually find out now is to the more intelligent to read any pattern of research that comes out from it. But at that time it wasn't a time to train anybody, I can because because was the middle of the COVID, early start of the COVID. Oh, uh,
0: yeah, good point. Our
1: <laughs> clinical workload was too busy. Yeah, yeah, too good point, busy. yeah. So anything to be odd, it was I an, an extra job to anybody. So what we did was our developers were very good. They worked very collectively with us. Um, so nice collaboration between the two teams. And we taught taught our robot what we need.
0: Hmm. And
1: exactly the same intelligence, what an infection will use, the robot is actually using it for downloading the lab results and interpreting it in the lab itself. So. We are doing a bit more work now um, so that this can be advanced further. So that is in the pipeline. Okay. Um, so that is actually for our surgical site infections. And for uh, all of the um the patient's specific notes for all other the illnesses.
0: Okay. I mean, so have you been able to quantify how much infection control nurse time has been freed up by this? And, and, and now what are they doing?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, so every day without COVID, that was three hours. Wow. So three hours is lifted back into the system. The COVID, we were able to manage without additional resources for the COVID because the COVID lab workload was actually done well, um, the robot. And even the doctors and nurses in the world got information very quickly at that time itself um, about the patient reporting system. So immediately when the lab was downloaded, if we were updating the system, it would take around seven minutes per patient, and uh, when, because of the, the robot, it actually took less than a few seconds for the robot to update that system. So, a huge amount of time. And also, what um, the robot did was balancing the workloads, like, flex- what's called? Imbalances, like fluctuations that happened during the weekend. Monday, you'll see, Monday, there is more forward results. There may be 200 patients. In some days, there will be 10. And over the weekend nurses, infrastructure nurses are not there on the day. But still yeah. the robot is actually doing 365 days. So there is a silent infrastructure nurse working <laughs> 24-7, 365 days, not taking any leaves. Yeah. So it's actually uh, it managed workload fluctuations there well.
0: It makes Monday morning very busy though when you all turn up and they've got <laughs> a whole pile of things to do. Yeah. I mean, are you using to look at infection rates or anything like that? Or is is this just a way of filtering out the, the, the path results from an older system at the moment? So
1: the, since they're overcame in, we have some in data. Before that, as I said, majority of them, we were looking at the lab results, taken an action. It is on the piece of paper. Never, like some people may enter the next stage we were not tech savvy at that time either. So it was like all of them were in the paper. We didn't have had a full surveillance data. Now, our infusion adult nurses are like, no, Robert is actually doing infusion adult nurses will add further comments into those one, like, you know, this is a healthcare-associated infection from this one or a different hospital. So we have the surveillance data for all NTRs. Hmm. That is one of the successes. Then we were able to give feedback to different wards. Look, there is a slight increasing break here, or what is happening, why there is three healthcare associated CDF in that board. Is there something new? We were even able to identify outbreak patterns even before before we even felt that there there is something wrong going on there, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I spoke to Alexander a few weeks ago, and they're genome sequencing everything, which is a completely different level. But at least you're, you know, you're not having to go down that route, and you're still able to, you know, pick up outbreaks quite early. So that's very good.
1: Yeah, so we identified the outbreak very early, um, as soon as there was one or two cases came, and then they were in close proximity. And we would have not done this if Robert was not picking up those okay. that and not
0: efficiently was there a large cost involved in this gentsy i was just you know because you're talking about developers coming in and doing all the mapping and sitting with them, working on it i mean were they doing it as part of a research project or you know was there significant funding required to set this up
1: so in the beginning because it was the first time ever in the world we got it as a prog on a basis from Year Park.
0: so Excellent.
1: it was free of cost and um, and then as the service executive in IR has taken up the RPA project, so they have, HSE have a center of excellence in RPA. Now the license is actually yearly, there is a yearly license post. Okay. And that is paid by HSE. Okay. So, yeah, you got the government
0: to pay for it that's very, that's even better yeah okay i mean because you have freed up you know nursing time to you know, to do other tasks as well so that's that's really impressive I and mean, we're you know there's a lot of talk about ai at the moment isn't there in the media because suddenly you just go yeah. chat gbt gpt and I've, I've done it and i think wow this is absolutely amazing thing but actually there's there's concerns about it as well so you know what do you think are the pros and cons of using AI then in infection prevention and control? Because certainly I think it can streamline processes and and help you point in the right direction in a much more timely manner.
1: Yeah, so there are pros and cons, and I'm not saying there are some pros and cons so first first of all thing if, first thing we need to identify if we have a data protection agreement, a strong data protection agreement, then our data is safe, and our patient data is safe. Mm. So before even, contacting anybody I think that is the first step we need to do to have a data protection agreement between the two organizations the person who is developing and then they use the password so once that is there we can rely on that the second thing the AI can only do as much as you tell AI to do yes so if if a clinician, if somebody if I give a wrong information to AI
0: yeah ask the wrong question you so get the wrong answer wrong. yeah
1: yeah <laughs> you'll get a, yeah you get a wrong answer So I really encourage people with a, a great clinical knowledge so you have the power of clinical knowledge you bring that clinical knowledge to the, to the people to the AI. So anybody who have possesses excellent clinical knowledge excellent judgment. And that person should actually sit with the AI there and collaborate with them to develop the best AI. Then the hospital has wealth of data, Martin. How many millions of lab results we? Speak.
0: Oh yeah. We
1: have untouched millions of labs. We have untouched millions of patients. data have forms, and we know like you know predictive predictive algorithms. Like I would love to do some predictive algorithms for endoscopy world, but probably I am not the first person to do it uh, yeah. because yeah. it is it is the, it is the doctors who actually diagnosed. So I think a concept of a microbiologist with the with the interest in AI should come forward. You don't really need to know AI in this one because you are providing the clinical knowledge to the people to say these are the steps I do. Yeah. and this is what you should look So the clinical knowledge for predictive algorithms would be really identi- really useful. Especially, we can program surgical site infections. Like now, yeah. by the time a clinician enters the patient details and history, by using predictive algorithm from our previous millions of data, can actually identify, if yes, this person is at a high risk of Surgical site infection. This person needs antibiotic. And just next one to say, this person does need because he has a very good, like, you know, chances of surviving with no surgical site infection. Or sometimes you can predict sepsis, and you can predict um, bloodstream infection very very early yeah. if you use predictive algorithm. I was actually reading one of the article where they are uh, they run uh, predicting algorithms. Uh, for patients who are long term in the hospital for UTI. And they actually predicted many of them very clearly and prevented millions of UTIs in the hospital.
0: Yeah. I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting to know, you know, whether a nurse's instinct would be as good as the AI because, you know, many nurses will spot the sitting duck, but they won't necessarily. Formally act on that and think this is an elderly person at risk of UTI. Maybe they're not drinking enough, and you know that can have other problems. But they still don't, for some reason, make the connection because it's not a formal thing. It's just it's just a feeling inside. Whereas if an AI model came up on the computer screen, this person is high risk. You need to make sure they're getting fluids. They may be more willing to act on that. Do you think because it's it's more formalized and therefore I see something, therefore I need to do something about it? I wonder if that would be an interesting study to do. Really.
1: Yeah, so that that's the purpose of bringing AI in this one. This person has a, a high risk of it. Now you have a set protocols in that for that person, and and even like adding the symptoms. Like we are going on the way to electronic patient record. In that time, even when the symptoms comes up, this is give them a an algorithm to say, okay, this person pitched the the points for a high risk of UTI. Now the step needs to be acted on. So. That's the value of AI, and that's hmm. where AI should be used appropriately rather than just, okay, we did a predictive model of these mutations.
0: I mean, I do wonder if if an AI system could be built to look at a number of different factors with regard to, say, a ward or unit, where they look at what the hand hygiene is like, and I mean, genuinely, so that may mean some sort of automated system, what the use of PPE is like or, or some other mechanism, are they isolating people appropriately, and actually predict which wards are most likely to have an outbreak. Because I could tell you walking around my old hospital when I was working, I I would reckon yeah. if I wrote down on a piece of paper the five wards that would have a norovirus outbreak in October each year and opened that envelope up in April, I'd have been pretty much right because you can, you know which wards are good or not. But you know, are there some parameters you could actually use to predict when an outbreak is likely to happen through something like a norovirus or a or an influenza or something like that? You know, you know what their ventilation rate is. Like I, you know, the future is impressive. I think.
1: Interestingly, you touched one of my points. Um, one of the projects that I'm planning to do with an AAU tech group, recently they brought to me a, a mobile-sized device, very small one, but that is a thermal sensor. And it has artificial intelligence built in it. And, and their purpose was to identify whether the patient's was not washing their hands when they are exiting the bathroom. And I said, no, 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 this can actually be better used in the bedside if the healthcare workers are performing hand hygiene or not. Mm. So we are going to go ahead with them uh, in the development process of I an mean, automation of auditing practices of healthcare workers, whether they are missing that five months of hand hygiene. Tell this time, there lots of electronic tools are there, whether you wash their hands. Before entering to the room or not. But the difficulty was identifying whether they are completing the five moments of pan hygiene at the bedside, because yeah. majority of our rooms are multi bed and base where pan hygiene is not monitored exactly. And yeah. even that machine can actually give a little warnings and noise if they miss the pan hygiene opportunity. So, whether you want that noise or not, it's up to your option. But I am really eager to work with that team to develop that um, AI supported device. Mm -hmm. Because it is very small, a mobile phone size can be fixed in in the proximity of the patient. And there is no data collected um, in terms of person identification. So you can, and you can, you don't, if you don't want, you can eliminate that option as well. Did somebody want to name and shame? Yes, you can collect the data.
0: Yeah, I, I wasn't – actually, when I think about that, I wouldn't think of name and shame. What I would do is maybe once a week give every healthcare worker on a unit just their own personalised report telling them where where they are uh, with their hand hygiene and not maybe do anything else with that and see if that actually changed things because people you – know, nothing matters unless it's personal to me. So, I, I, you know, if that is possible to actually do that and not report to anybody else but that person – so nobody else knows. You get an overall number for the war, but only that person knows their individual data. And have a look at that over time. Would would individualized personal feedback make a difference? And I think there are there are some papers out there that say that, that might work. So yeah, interesting. Okay. So
1: I'll I'll keep that in mind. That was yeah. <laughs> I know quite I think yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, we are kind of a bit skeptical at some point.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I way. mean, I, I, I mean, like you, I, I would have um, run the robotic process thing, but I'd have been, you know, oh, are we going to miss something? And there, there's always a fear that something will slip through. Yet, with human error, plenty of things would have slipped through. But that's just that's us making a mistake rather than the machine doing it, which always seems a bit more, a uh, bit more worrying. Um,
1: another project we're currently I'm working with the AI and artificial um, control is on plant hygiene, where we are actually trying to bring behavioural changes and kind of embedding uh, the five moments knowledge. Mm-hmm. What we don't have currently is a novelty in approaches. So this is actually totally a novel approach um, where the ha- how the hand hygiene training is provided. So in, in a simple machine, um, we are trying to introduce hand hygiene training, alcohol coverage, five moments of hand hygiene knowledge and practical approach and then their behavioural patterns. So how they okay. can actually change. Again, working with a totally different team of AI developers, and I hope by September we'll have that in
0: production. now oh, that's interesting because you're actually doing hand alcohol hand rub coverage, aren't you? So that's that's better because at the moment we just monitor if people do anything at all. So and most of yeah. the time people don't follow a, a recognised method of doing it, whether that be the six five six or three stage, because there are some shorter methods. Um, so we yeah. just monitor incompetence, probably most of the time. Uh, so this would be a, a nice way of doing it to say actually how effective is hand hygiene on a routine basis. I know people have done it in research studies, but uh, so you'll be reporting in September. I look forward to hearing about that one.
1: you Maybe.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Ginty. It's been fascinating. I've no doubt we will be talking again on this subject at some time in the future. I'm now going to go and stick my head in the bucket because it's it's probably a bit above my age group. But, but thank you very much for talking to me. I'm really grateful.
1: Thank
0: you. Take care. Okay. And to everybody else, uh, we'll catch you again on the next episode of Infection Control Matters.